Hello? Rob, wake up. Gary, I am up. How else could I have answered the phone? Wait, were you texting? You were texting, weren't you? No, I was sleeping. See? You weren't awake. What time is it there? Damn it, Gary, it's three o'clock in the morning. Everybody in the house is awake now. Wait, Rob, I got a question. Did you block my credit card? Maybe. Why? Because I'm down here in Tallahassee, and I'm working on a deal on authentic crocodile belts for Black Friday giveaway. And then I'm going to remake them out back in the garage into camera slings for all of the photographers. Don't you mean alligator? No, why? Alligators are lame. Crocodiles don't even live in the USA. They're from Asia and Africa. Pandas also don't live in the United States, but that didn't stop me from riding one yesterday, did it? Gary, how are you getting a deal on crocodile belts when they don't even live in Florida? Rob, you are missing the point. I got a sweet deal down here on croc belts, and you're worried about whether alligators live in the United States or not? What? How many are you trying to buy? How much is this? I thought we already had our Black Friday plans in place. Rob, for the last time, we already do have our Black Friday plans in place. This is in addition. It's an extra bonus, Rob. It's a gift in addition to the Black Friday plans. You name me one person that doesn't like a bonus. I absolutely don't want that bonus. Yeah, yeah, not with that attitude, you don't. Welcome to the RGG EDU podcast, where Rob and Gary talk and drink with your favorite photographers. So grab yourself a cold sarsaparilla and saddle up. In this episode, we're sitting down with Jeff Yoakum, which is a soft J. Yeah, it's not Yoakum, it's Yoakum. No, it's, it's Yo. a soft J. Thank you for that. Business coach, mentor, and a specialty with photographers, artists. Uh, that type of people is your clientele. Great, creative entrepreneurs. Yeah, right. I'm excited for this this podcast. Talk about consulting, marketing. That's everyone's biggest weakness, I think. Yeah, you would think. Yeah. <laughs> and we also have Rob Grimm here. I'm here, right we're, next to you. We're, this is the last podcast of the day. Yeah, we got another day tomorrow. Yeah, and uh, got to keep going. Don't don't go. Don't you go dine on me tonight? I need you tomorrow, Rob. I wasn't planning on. Okay, good. No, I'll be here. All right. <laughs> Is that a vote of confidence? I'm sure it's just, I, yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm going to see that as empathetic Jeff, right? yeah. as opposed yeah. to, yeah. Yeah. So, Jeff, let's back up. But walk us through how you got into this industry, into consulting, coaching. Right. Well, once I got out of prison, <laughs> no, nah, I'm just. The, uh, the reality is, I, for me, I came from the tech sector. Um, I spent just under a couple of decades building and selling tech companies, software. And um, one of the last things I built was a. Uh, was an online uh, website development system, and, and I sold that in two thousand. That company in two thousand, and kind of retired. You know, decided I was gonna um, get into and become a senior golfer. Yeah. <laughs> well, I got half of that right. Uh, <laughs> I got I got to the senior part pretty good. Yeah. Um, and then, I, you know, what happened is I was able to sell the company right before the bubble burst. Um, Pure luck, you know. I'd love to tell you it was genius, but it wasn't. It was pure luck. However, um, that you know gave me some cred, and I started doing turnarounds and started doing investment, and spent a few years doing angel investment. And one of the companies that I invested in uh, was Pictage um, back in late 2002, and then around 2004 they kind of hit a wall for growth, and so I came in as first as a consultant, and eventually running their sales and marketing, and kind of running the everything except the lab inside the company. And we took Pictage from about $3 million in revenue in 2004 to around $40 million in revenue in 2000, the end of 2005, early six, and sold it. And uh, 
hung around for a little while. Then I went to um, uh, actually kind of exited the country, bought a company in Belgium for about a year and ran that and sold it. Was it a chocolate company or a beer company? I wish. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Belgium it was glorious. It was it was a competitor to Dropbox. But before we knew that Dropbox was going to be huge, <laughs> so so hence the year in and out, and so and we sold it back to the government. Um, and then I I, um, I left and went to uh, DeviantArt. I was a chief marketing mm-hmm. officer at DeviantArt, um, a name that everybody recognizes, everybody. but yeah, it's a at that time was a top one hundred site in the world, and you know I was able to test every little idea I ever had for marketing and business strategy there during the you know the the time I was there because we had. I don't know, 36 million uniques a month. I had 10,000 people at any given moment on the site, uniques. And, you know, if yeah. I wanted to test orange buttons in the right-hand corner, it, you know, right. 15 minutes later, I had, a, you know, 100,000, you know, clicks. So uh, once I, once I um, kind of got DeviantArt straightened out and back behind me, I, I ended up at SmugMug for a little while as the chief marketing officer also. And uh, kind of it, we, we tried to move SmugMug from the, um, from the business of enthusiasts to the business of professionals. And so I created SmugMug Pro. And and in all of these companies, during the process, what, what I did more than anything else was build communities. I built the Pictage community, um, the street team um, uh, at DeviantArt, and, um, and then, of course, the SmugMug user group community. Because... What I discovered is photographers, creatives, and so forth, they're a lot like programmers back in the late 90s. They were isolated, mm-hmm. right? They you know, lived in rooms. We used to make jokes that you could always tell the programmer's room because there was a, a bigger space below the door where we slid the pizzas. Right? <laughs> they right. never wanted to be bothered. And, and it turns out photographers are kind of the same way, you know, with the editing, with the concept of shooting and taking it back and then living in a room where you're, you know, the only light is coming from the screen of your your iPad yeah. mm-hmm. uh, or your 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 monitor, um, your, Mo- your MacBook Pro, and um, and what they really wanted though was a community, a progressive community that they could go out to and and um, and share that isolation. <laughs> you know, for lack of better terms, they wanted to be surrounded by other people who were different, just like them. And uh, the Pictosh community grew. Smugma community grew, and and what I've been doing over the last five or six years is actually consulting to um, other high growth companies: Shoot that, Edit, um, uh, Show It, Pass, um, Agree, uh, and now I'm I'm consulting to sh- um, to a couple of companies in the industry. One of them is uh, Photo Shelter out of New York, uh, kind of evolving it into an enterprise product. Yeah, I always go to the Photo Shelter party at PPE. Yeah, it's pretty consistent. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we're and we're we're looking at um, kind of reinventing the uh, the photographer product as well. So I think there's some there's some growth there. I've been working yeah. with Andrew, who's the CEO so, there for about six months, and I'm really really impressed. I think it's an amazing product. So, so you're completely in the photo world uh, from the corporate side in a sense. But did, was Pictage just an accident? Because it sounds like you were the tech sector, you were a money guy in in a sense of of doing angel investing, or were you really intrigued by well, the reality is my, there was a crossover because the tech that I was mostly involved with was 3D animation. Oh, okay. So for me, it was always about film recorders and visual creation and, you know, Z-Space and, and taking all of this wonderful code and turning it into something that had a visual representation. So, you know, kind of the shift over to the photo or visual world was not such a big leap. Um, the, the difference is it became 
the dog rather than the tail. Mm-hmm. Back in the tech days, you know, the, the tech was the dog and visual was, you know, the output through Pixar and a couple of other Disney and, and so forth companies that we worked with were the result. But now we were, you know, with Pictage and so forth, they got to focus actually on the creation and working directly with the artists rather than with the the tech people who were represent who were trying to represent what the artist wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, most people don't realize it, but Pixar is not animated by a whole bunch of animators. You know, all Pixar movies are not animated by animators. They're animated by technologists who are reflecting what the animators envisioned that they sure, should produce. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, you're you're right. I don't think about it in that sense. Right. You think there there's a direct correlation because that's what you're used to in photography, right? right. That the, you know, in photography you don't have somebody taking the picture and then uh, that is different than the person who envisioned the picture, mm-hmm. right? You know, right. kind of go, okay, here's what I want the composition to be. You know, do you know about the rule of thirds? <laughs> right? <laughs> right. You know, so go out and get one of those for me and then bring them back and I'll work on it. That's, it's, it's much more visceral. It's much more in, in direct. And that's what, what attracted me to it with Pictage. Plus, Pictage was a great idea, badly executed. And uh, where is Pictage now? Dead. Dead. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was um, we, we actually sold I you know as I say I, I came in in 04 and we sold it in 06 for 40 million uh, to a company called Apex um, the the investors wanted to sell out rather than to invest and grow I saw Pictosh as a hundred million dollar company they saw it as a cash cow <laughs> yeah. and when Apex came in and bought it out it kind of turned into a stasis company right it's like well let's not risk anything but let's not break anything and it it kind of rolled around for a couple of years, and then they threw out the old management, who was the original. I was gone by then, and they threw out the old management and then brought in another turnaround guy. Um, and he tried for three years to turn it around, and at the end of the day, it was just it was too far gone. And then I guess a few years ago, um, they lost all the images. They, they, were, they, they stored everything on their own servers, which I thought was always a value, but they somehow screwed up the redundancy and... Lost everybody's, lost everybody's for work. everything. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, it's tough to recover from, right? So yeah. I think at that point, they just decided to sell the printers and call it a day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> Probably God. Probably not a bad choice. No. I'm sure they, got, they, they must have gotten sued by people for losing all their work. If they did, I don't know about it. I've got a feeling at that point they were already irrelevant. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, they were a big player. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, I think we could have owned the space. We were at 40. We could have gone to 100. It was a great idea. But the vision wasn't, wasn't unified, right? Yeah. So. So you also work directly with photographers. I do. Yeah. Um, I, not as much as I used to. Um, I was actually thinking about this earlier today as, you know, I had a bunch of coaching meetings here at WPPI. And, you know, I, I had stopped. You know, I've focused most of my work at strategy and working with companies. And, and to be honest with you, companies pay a lot better than individual photographers of do. Course. Uh, however, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I guess I'm kind of changing my mind. It's been a couple of years. Right now, most of my one-to-one students are coaches are people who want to and want to build their coaching um, um, businesses but I really do enjoy you know seeing photographers and seeing the results I mean we've there's some photographers here that have just hit phenomenal heights who were students of mine Jen Rosenbaum who's mm-hmm. on the Nikon booth and Sarah Rashawn and I mean I could give you kind of a a cadence but for me, it, it was really enjoyable watching them kind of get started, and now I get to see it later on. So I don't know. Part of me wants to go back to doing that a little bit. So we'll see. What do you think most photographers are missing? Because I don't think many photographers realize that they are in themselves a brand. 
Yeah, you know, and it's interesting. I use the term brand maybe differently. I'd love to get everybody using it the same way. I use the word brand to as a synonym for promise. Um, a lot of people think of it as icons or image or something else. But, you know, the, word, the term brand promise, as an example, is redundant because when you your brand really is what your customer expects you to deliver, mm-hmm. how you should act, what their experience should be with you, right? So when you define a brand, it's really around how they're going to benefit and how they're going to experience you. And by trying to separate that into something tangible, you know, oh, my brand is my icon or my tagline or, you know, whatever it is, I think it removes it from what a brand's really meant to be, which is the promise. That's you know, when you When you brand something yeah. or you want the brand, it's, you know, it, it's, and it's lost it because we've, we've thought, we think of brand as tangible because when you turn a plate over and it says Oneida or you look at a crystal and it says Waterford, Right, we think, oh, the brand is Waterford, mm-hmm. but it's not. The brand of Waterford is that it is of a certain quality, of a certain make, within a certain intent. Photo- photographs are no different, and the experience of photography is no different. You know, the days of people taking pictures as a photographer being just the warm finger that pushes the button when it's focused in the in the right place are gone. Right, right. now, photographers have an effect on their subjects, at least people photographers and event photographers, right? So when you ask customers whether they had a wonderful experience with their photographer, they won't talk about, you know, well, yeah, that, you know, the composition was right. We'll go back, you know, do, do you know about the rule of thirds? <laughs> um, it, it goes to, they drew something from me that I, I didn't, I may have not even known I had. Mm-hmm. And then thank God they had a camera in their hand because they captured it. That's the difference between great photographers and button pushers. And we live in a world where taking pictures is no longer hard. You know, I'm old enough to remember that, you know, all wedding photographers, as an example, were either stringers for the newspaper, you know, or creeps in camouflage vests. Right? <laughs> and and why? Why were they wedding photographers? That's funny to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, most of us who remember yeah, them yeah, remember I t- them. I totally. right? Um, but why were they wedding photographers? Because they had the equipment, right? Right. The only reason that they were being hired to shoot weddings or any other events is because they were the only you know person in town who actually had a professional camera, and more importantly, knew how to use it. Well, you know, uh, now it's not the case anymore, right? I mean, now I've got an iPhone that you know takes unbelievably great portraits yeah. with a 1.8 <laughs> f-stop, right. you know, even front and back, and and our market, our customer market, they don't know the difference between good and great. They know the difference between good and bad. But good and great is usually defined by how they experienced the photographer during the session. You know, mm-hmm. whether they were aligned with what the photographer was, believes in and saw and what their vision was, then it's great. You know, Mira Coe was one of my oldest students and friends. She used to say that, you know, uh, when the bride, if you really want to see the bride panic, ask her what her favorite photo is. <laughs> right. Lay 50 of them out on the right. table and go, pick your favorite. You know, and the eyes go glassy, the face goes white. And, and she does this, and she actually then came back and she goes, my favorite is this one. And almost without exception, the bride will go, 
Oh my God. Too. <laughs> right. That's my favorite too. <laughs> it's because you're the expert, mm-hmm. right? It used to be right. you were just the expert in using the equipment. Now you're the expert at capturing and relaying the emotion. So when you say, I love, as a photographer, I love that picture. It's not an ego thing. It's you giving them permission to love the picture too. And you're the expert, right? You're not just the expert at taking it. You're the expert at evaluating beautiful photographs. So when you say, this one's awesome, they're going to buy in. And when they buy in, that's marketing. Right, That's when your brand promise becomes real to them. And the problem with that with, in business, you're asking what photographers struggle with, is yeah. they, what they really struggle with is being able to articulate that. You know, most great photographers have that, but very few of them can figure out how to put that into words to allow one of their evangelists or true believers to actually relay that yeah. to somebody else. That's what I do. I specialize in teaching creatives. It's not just photographers. I also work with artists and other creative entrepreneurs, but teaching them how to define what they stand for in just a few words so that when those words get relayed, the customer, the client, the, the, the consumer knows exactly how to celebrate you with someone else. And that's where your brand promise becomes viral. It kind of goes out and, and finds new customers for you. Yeah, that's really that's interesting. I've never heard brand broken down or explained in that in that sense. I think, and as I'm processing what you're saying, I think in many ways I think of branding as a position or an identity, not an experience. It, well, it's it, and it's not just an experience; it's the promise of that right. identity. But you have to have an identity. I notice you're wearing a U-boat watch, right? Yeah. Maybe you didn't know, but why are you wearing a U-boat watch? He's with the captain. Is with the captain, <laughs> but the, but the reality is a U boat is oversized. Yeah, it is a declaration. It is it's almost like um, a, a statement that you know it's not like a Panerai or some of the really you know in, you know the twenty five thousand dollar watches. I can't afford those. I can't either. <laughs> but well, not it, with that attitude. Yeah, Rob. I know. Not but, yet. But what it says though is you've thought about it. Right, it, it it sends the message to say I'm wearing something that is out of the ordinary. I'm I'm doing something that's out of the ordinary, and if I don't know what it means, then it means nothing to me. Your brand promise on that, or their brand promise doesn't register. Mm-hmm. But if I get it, I look at it and I go, God, that's a cool watch. And yeah, my eyes are going bad, and I really need a big old face <laughs> like that. Right, <laughs> I have one by the way, yeah. for that reason. And at that point, the brand promise is, oh, I'm going to get something that allows me to be different while at the same time uh, doesn't paint me in a way that I don't want to be painted. If I said I was super conservative and, you know, um, um, you know very closed, you know, very, very uh, kind of militaristic, I would, I'd look at that and go, no, that's not for me. But it says something. We live in an environment where everything we wear, T-shirts, tattoos, hats. What's your problem with tattoos, Say Jeff? something. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but they all say something on purpose yeah. about us, right? right? I mean, even when you ask somebody, what kind of brands do you wear? And somebody goes, oh, I don't ever wear brands. Oh, you're the no brand person. Yeah. Right? right. right. We always categorize. Understanding that is the power of using and leveraging the brand. Yeah. So in your workshop, what are the – you do a two- or three-day workshop? I, um, a couple times a year, I'll do a, a workshop called Brand Fight Club. Brand Fight Club. Yeah. Walk us through that. What's, what's in there? Um, Brand Fight Club is, in, in a nutshell, on day one, 
Uh, it's a small group, generally eight people. We always do it someplace kind of fun. Last one we did in Paris, you know, and this year I think we're going to do Greece. And mm-hmm. and the reason is, is two reasons. Number one, I like to travel, and this gives me the reason to. But the second <laughs> is, is it isolates everybody. It kind of puts us into an immersive environment. So day one, we take everything you believe you know about your brand, your identity, your purpose, and everything, and we throw it on the ground, and we stomp the crap out of it, <laughs> right? And then we go out drinking. Everybody kind of cries <laughs> in their beer. And the next day, we begin to put it back together, but the, only the pieces you want to represent you. And that's kind of, you know, and, and so day two is reassembly, and day three so, then. So when, you, when you're saying you stomp the crap out of it, what right. are you looking to do? Are, I mean, Authenticity. The authenticity of your brand, of most brands, is just Wrong. doesn't exist, right? Most people are chameleons, especially when they define their brand, right? They right. kind of – we're taught in most business schools, and this is wrong, but they were taught in most business schools, here's how you build a business. You find a need that's unmet and meet it. Well, that sounds really good as long as you don't have any identity. Mm-hmm. As long as you're putty, find a hole, fill it. Fill it. Awesome, right? But most of us don't want to be celebrated as putty. Mm-hmm. We want to be celebrated by finding a hole that actually fits who we are, and then when we fill it, we go. Not anybody, nobody else could have filled this hole right. the way. By I being an it. innovator, that's <laughs> right. right. No, this, but, is, this is a family podcast. Yeah, yeah. I can't be talking like I, that. I didn't. I didn't go to the gutter. I just. I'd like to. I'd like to make the point that you did. Right? <laughs> For the record, that's where I, I live. <laughs> yes, that's kind of where I live. Yeah. I, it gutter. doesn't mean I didn't think. Yeah. That. I just didn't go there. Right. The right. Uh, but the reality is, is you know. Humans are most well-defined from a psychology and marketing standpoint when we're in high school. And that's when we don't have a lot of filters, a lot of social (laughs) norms. It's where we want to be completely and utterly unique, just like everybody else. Right. Right? Right. We want to be... There's an assimilation almost. And and, and you realize that most great communities, and that's why where we started this, I said I build communities. Communities are progressive. They're not regressive, meaning that if I join a Star Wars community. It's not because I felt lonely in this world without Star Wars in my life. It was because I joined a Star Wars community so that I could be surrounded by other people that celebrate what I find valuable, which means that in the community, I feel better, right? Yeah. And all of our cult communities are like that. But what doesn't exist is an anti-Star Wars community. Right? I joined this because I hate Star Wars. (laughs) And even if I did, it wouldn't last because communities cannot sustain in a regressive environment. Hmm. They have to make us feel better about ourselves. Marketing is a cult community of you. When you build your marketing brand, your marketing promise, you are actually building a cult identity for you, for what it is you stand for, what it is you do. In my world, that's, we define it in a few words. Like my three words that I use to define me is um, romantic slash idealist. In business, I'm an idealist. I believe everything is possible. Uh, paternal, which means all of my customers, all of my clients, all of my students are my kids. Mm-hmm. I'm their dad. I don't care whether they see me as their dad. That's not You're, important. But that's your role. It's only yeah. important for me and confrontational which is my, what I call my polarizing word. I'm direct. I'm confrontational. I don't have any hidden agenda. Um, my nickname is Damn It Jeff. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's, it's, my hey, students it, gave me that, Damn It Jeff. It's like they say it three or four times every time we coach. But the reality is all three of those things define kind of or placeholders to define who I am and what I stand for. 
Now imagine if I said, that's what I'm about, and then I showed up and we go back to the brand promise, the brand identity. That's my brand identity. If I show up and I'm suddenly really empathetic and, oh, right, I'm, I'm soft, and, oh, you're not, you're not actually getting up in the morning and going to work and complaining about not getting enough customers, <sighs> that's such a bummer. I'm so that, – that's okay. You'll eventually get it. Mm-hmm. You'd go, well, wait. <laughs> Where's the damage, yeah. Jeff? yeah. Exactly, because that's not the promise that you that you got from this. And that's what ultimately every service worker, every creative worker, if they do this, they create for themselves these boundaries of who they, what they stand for and what they believe in. They will find not only do they have an unending stream of customers, but those customers will become, you know, there's three levels, they become, go from being just advocates, yeah, Jeff does a good job, to evangelists. Have you met Jeff? He changed my business to true believers. I know a guy you should talk to. I believe the same way he does. And oh, by the way, he's a business strategist. That's what you want even for photographers, right? You should meet this person because they are so amazing in this way. And oh, by the way, they take pictures. But the problem is most people don't do that because they're afraid. If I said to you, I'm confrontational, and you said, yeah, I don't think I want to work with anybody confrontational. From a business standpoint, that's a win. And here's the secret. I get twice as many referrals from people who won't work with me as I do people who have. Wait, why? Because they want to work with that directness, but they're afraid of it. And so therefore so what, they say to their friends. So they're passing it off to their friends? So correct. That their friends test it and test you It's a psychological fact. No, it's not even a test. It's I really would love that, but I'm just afraid that I'm not strong enough to take that kind of directness. But you are. You should work for him and here, or work with him. And here's what's really fascinating. The reason they do that isn't because they've experienced it. It's because they know what I stand for. So when they refer people to me with these three words on their tongue, they're basically doing a good thing because they're connecting me with them, whoever their friend is, who they think is the, are these things as well. That's interesting. So I'm here you say on a, a couple different levels, one – um, by delivering on the promise of your brand, you make your customers evangelical. And and at best, true believers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the same time, people who are almost afraid to work with you... They will, refer more business. ...will refer people to you. So they're, they're almost evangelical, even though they don't... They are, have, but they they're evangelical the for a different reason. They're evangelical because we're all driven to be to raise ourselves in our social circle. Right? What they're doing is saying, I've never worked with him, but I hear he's amazing. He's really direct. I don't think I could take that, but you should try it. It's the same reason that in a a group. So they're having knowledge without knowledge? Because they know of you. Because it's black and elevating them, even though they haven't gone through the experience. Plus, it's our social nature, right? If somebody said, hey, do you know a Chinese restaurant? Nobody at the table does. What's the next thing that happens? Does everybody just kind of go silent? No. Our social desire to be socially elevated in our group. We go, you know, I don't know good Chinese restaurant, but I have a friend who commented about a Chinese restaurant nearby. Now, if we look at that logically, it doesn't make any sense, right? It's right. like not only do we not have personal experience, we don't even have secondary experience. We have kind of a recommendation by someone in the third person, yet we still do this. Why? Because we want to be helpful and because our nature, it tells us to elevate in our social circles. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's where, you know, from a marketing standpoint, great marketing allows people to know who you are, even if they don't agree with you. 
even if they don't get you. They can define you, and this is where we started this conversation. They can articulate what you stand for, even when they don't recommend you. That's a powerful, powerful message. But you have to understand who you are. You have to be able to articulate yourself. And there's the key. Going back to the workshop, therein lies the problem. It's two and a half days of, yes, of of damage, a lot of work. But at the end of it, you come out the other side with this kind of epiphany of who I am. If I asked you guys to describe yourselves in 100 words, you'd immediately begin. But if I said, tell me three words to describe you, only three words. Bulbous. (laughs) Bulbous. <laughs> um, I was just bulbous. Yeah. Right. So, and in fact, one of the exercises I call it the I call it the 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 um, tombstone exercise. I think give me three words that we put on your tombstone. People freeze up. Do you want bulbous on your tombstone? I, I would like barbecue sauce on. <laughs> All right. On your bulbous tombstone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bulbous yeah tombstone. Now we've created visuals. Right, got, exactly. yeah, it, yeah. I'm never going to get that out of my mind. <laughs> <laughs> See A barbecue cover bulbous tombstone, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Barbecue sauce and phallic tombstone. I can see it right yeah. now. Yeah, got it. So, Rob, what are your three words? <sighs> God. God's one of them. Isn't right, that amazing? Two more. God, God-like. So how long have you known you? Um, I just met myself about a week ago. <laughs> well, that's a good well, reason I, I, for I, I, not knowing your three words. Okay, I'll, t- I'll tell you why I'm, I'm struggling with this. So how do you define yourself in just three words? How do you do it by being humble and not being braggadocious, but also making you feel, yourself feel good about yourself? How do, you, how do you raise and put forth your strengths without downplaying your weaknesses so three words that's hard so so i'll give you a couple of ways that you can do that and even your listeners can figure there's two basic rules you want to follow one is called the rule of opposites you don't want to use any word where the opposite is negative right so you don't say i'm smart because the opposite of that is stupid and if it's a competitive analysis nobody you know you can say i am the um the the best photographer in the world and you're competing against nobody because nobody's going to go, oh, yeah, that's, I'm the worst. I'm the worst photographer in the world. So you want to use the law of opposites first. So define a word that where the opposite isn't negative. And ex- I'll give you an example for me. The, the word confrontational is polarizing, but the opposite of confrontational is not negative. In fact, a lot of people would argue that confrontational is negative, but it isn't. It's me. And then the second rule is the, what I call the Hitler ambiguity. Which don't use any word that Hitler may have used to describe himself. Good example, Hitler said, I'm really passionate. So when you say I'm really passionate, I think, are you passionate about the same thing? Right. Of course not. Right. But you hear so often people talk about that. That's def- almost that is the and actually I kinda it's the hate most that word. Overused word. That is what every passion. artist uses to describe himself. And that's I'm why passionate. it never works. It drives me nuts. Because well it doesn't tell you anything about them other than they're not uh, I guess that they have a feeling, they have some emotion, but I want to know what you're passionate about, right? And then if you say I'm passionate about, and I'll go back to my, I'm passionate about confrontation, I'm passionate about directness, I'm passionate about no hidden agenda, well, that's not really passionate, is it? That's committed, right. that's relentless. You know, I mean, there's there's all kinds of other ways to say it, but passion is a cop-out word, and and there are lots of those. Yeah, Again, I agree. Hitler ambiguity. Don't use anything that's ambiguous enough for somebody else to use it negatively. Don't use any word where the opposite is not or is a negative. 
so that in defining yourself, you okay, figure but, out how to describe. But that a lot of what we are is negative. You yeah, know? but that's like not I, what you're trying to define. That's I not your get brand promise. done, but I often procrastinate before I get them now, done. But now you're struggling with the false ego, right? You go, hey, I'm really, really good at what I do, but I don't want to look like I'm full of myself. So first of all, let me give you, let me give you one quick bit of advice, okay. one marketing person to yeah. another. Stop using the word but. The word but means everything I just said, I didn't mean. Like the two T but yeah, or the one T The one T but. <laughs> you call. indicate what you're saying. <laughs> okay. So the, first, the second part of your sentence negates the first completely. Always. Right. right. So I think you're just an amazing photographer, but I may as well have just taken that and thrown it out. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know if anybody's married or has significant others. You know, how do I look? Oh, my God, that dress looks great on you, but... Now, I can guarantee you that is not going to be an enjoyable evening. <laughs> right? right? So if you remove the word but and use and, it becomes more strength. And now you realize that you're using but to kind of offset the, your, your fears of ego. So I'm a really great photographer, and I focus a lot of my energies at trying to get emotions out of my, my clients that they don't want to share. Okay. If you put but in there, it actually allows you to kind of feel like, well, I'm not being – a braggadocious. Right. But the truth is you don't have to worry about being braggadocious if what you're defining yourself as is something different than negative, not better. That's by that pet plays on itself, right? As I say, I'm I'm idealistic, paternal and confrontational. The opposite of those are not bad right. and they don't elevate me. Right. There are people who go, "No, don't really want to be I'm not an idealist, I'm a pragmatist." You know, it's one of my favorite examples is, you know, I'm an optimist and somebody goes, well, I'm a realist. And I go, oh, yeah, that's the word pessimists use because they're embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they go, well, what do optimists like use? Optimists don't need another word. Yeah. <laughs> Work pretty good with optimists. <laughs> my high life is half full. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. And Rob, yours isn't on. I haven't hey, even. Yeah, it's, not on? it's not on. <laughs> it's not on. It's not on. There's no turn on the beer on. Yeah. You got to turn your beer on, Rob. It's Such not, a noisy switch. I've noticed. It is a noisy switch. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for turning on my beer. Hey, anytime. So going back to the workshop, it's it, you know I, I do it pretty much as a labor of love. Um, that doesn't mean it's cheap. Yeah, right. <laughs> what does your workshop cost? Um, it'll range anywhere depending on where we're at. Anywhere between about thirty five hundred and six thousand per person. For the three days. That includes the lodging and meals. I like to cook, and so I tend to oh, right on. Oh, cook cool. at night. And, and it's immersive and all the other yeah. things. But, uh, but you know, airfare and everything else right. is extra. I like a premium product, which sure. means that ultimately the only way we know, you know that, that your promise is going to be premium is price. I say this to my, my students as well. In fact, one of the questions I get is, what happens when somebody says, you're so, but you're so expensive? Here's my recommendation. When somebody says you're so expensive, you go, I know, right? right. <laughs> Is that Agree crazy? Yeah. That's nuts. I know I'm so expensive. It's amazing. Can someone have a premium product and sell it for a competitive or cheap price? Not in my world. Because how else do you know a premium product? Right? We, right. Quality can no longer be a differentiator. Right? You say, oh, I'm better, or I produce better, or I, I print better, or whatever it is. But the reality is, is that quality is now what's expected. Right? When, when, you know, nobody basically says, oh, yeah, you know, I'm 
but nine out of ten of my images are awesome. <laughs> right, and and we don't that's charge eighty like percent of the photos. Being <laughs> yeah, but awesome. you don't say that. That's not in your marketing. Right. Uh, when I used to do WPPI presentations, I used you know the audiences were three, four, five hundred, and I'd ask how many people in here believe that um, that you that all your images aren't equal, and everybody's hands go up. I go, how many people here charge more for those three wonderful images you shoot at the wedding? You charge more for those than you for the other fourteen hundred and ninety-seven. Nobody. It's like if we're telling, we're teaching, and and, and I, I'm not saying this is a negative. The truth is, we teach the consumers that the only way they can know something is a premium value is to pay more it's for by it. Premium price. I don't know any other way to do it. You know, I, I've thought about it. I can't figure it out. Yeah, you can't do it through verbiage because that's again braggadocious, and the proof has to be in the pudding. Right, and most of the in most times you're not necessarily delivering what they want. You're delivering what you think they want, which is really what you want when you when you talk that way. When you're saying I'm really good at this, right? The idea isn't whether you're good or great. The idea is whether you're connected, right? Whether what you believe in, whether what you think aligns itself with what they think. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, photographers, creatives are afraid that they're not going to get enough business, so they chameleon. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times when I start working with photographers, they, I say, well, what makes you really successful? Or what, where have you seen success? They go, you know, I'm really good at reading the customer. You know, when they come in, I, I listen, and I, I figure out what they really need, and I become that. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, shoot me now. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because the only thing worse than having somebody go, Jeff, I don't think I like you is for them to love me for somebody I'm not, right? right. It, it's the old line that says the only thing worse than having a business that produces no money is doing what you hate for more than you can give up. Every day mm -hmm. you get up and you go to a job that you hate, but they pay you so much you can't stop can't going. Yeah. That's shoot me now, right? right. That's, that's not the reason people got into creative works. I mean, no, not I don't know anybody who gave up brain surgery become a wedding photographer because it paid better <laughs> do you know anybody that gave up brain surgery to become a not wedding brain surgery but joe Busink, one of my earliest friends and students was a physician really yeah wow yeah yeah, yeah. he gave that up to become a photographer oh, and he's one of the best in the business and he's doing what he loves he's doing right. exactly right and then in fact isn't that what we all want for ourselves and for everybody we love we yeah. want them to to do what they love. So at the end of the day, the easiest way to do that is to declare what you love, declare what you stand for in a way that is easily articulated, and you will draw people to you who reinforce what you believe. You, you love Shake Shack burgers. Ooh, me too. too. You could declare that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Make it declared. Uh, we have declared. a couple. We just, we just oh, they had the them. best. And if you want <laughs> Except that I just realized I went downstairs last night. I was at New York, New York. And they don't have chili. It's seasonal. I was so disappointed. Chili is seasonal? Chili really? is seasonal. Shake Shack in Vegas, at least. Wait. Oh. It's kind of chilly season. It's winter. I, I decided. Like, when do they think I, chili season I opted is? not to probe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When, since when is anything? I'm going to argue this. Yeah. I, think, well, dead I will say I go out to New York once a month to work with Photo Shelter and. Yeah. Go Shake Shack. Yeah. At least once. Yeah. Right. And they don't seem to have a problem always keeping uh, chili. chili on the menu. Yeah. So I. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start questioning whether this is a real Shake Shack or this yeah. is just a... Somebody messed up on ordering. Yeah. Now, yeah. now it's seasonal. I'm not sure. I, so now we have to kind of go, is Shake Shack really a Shake Shack if it's not in New York? I don't know. 
I'm not sure I know the answer to that. I don't know. We've got one in our town now, and it's... Uh, really? Yeah. I'm so it, jealous. It's in St. Louis. Dan, but Danny Meyer's from St. Louis originally, right. and Shake Shack is actually influenced by Steak and Shake, which is... Right. You know, and Ted Drew's Custard, which is a St. Louis right. like favorite, so... Right. And see, I'm from California originally, so... Yeah. My, you know my my claim to fame is In and Out. Yeah, right? which that's good. Yeah. What? Are you, so are you In and Out or Shake Shack? Yes. Which one? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I. There's no reason to. Right. Yeah, I'm. Neutral. I'm. I'm lucky in that I can afford both. Neutral is <laughs> neutral is one of your three words now. Neutral is not one of my three words. No, it no. is now. <laughs> <laughs> only about Shake only Shack. Burger Wars. Yeah. Only but, when it comes to food. Yeah. 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 What do you? So there's only two kinds of food, the stuff I love and the stuff I haven't tried yet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what do you like cooking? Um, I actually am a steak guy. So I've, I've got my sous vide. I've learned oh, how to sous vide the steak. And then I've got my hot pan and I sear it. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm mm. really a lover of steak. Oh, right Sounds on. good. Yeah. So I, I love cooking steak. Get your impression or opinion on just the, the photography industry in general. Where, where do you think we're at? Is it, are we going somewhere good? Too much change. There's, it's you know, it's tough. I I've been trying to trend that myself, um, and, and I, I I think it it continues to stand for less and less because it continues to focus at the product rather than the experience. Yeah. Um, yeah in one of the you know kind of one of the the moments of clarity, and, and again, I used to do this at the uh, when I was doing platforms here at WPPI. I would. You know, I it was a little game I'd play. I'd say, I'll bet, pick anybody in the audience, and I can name, by name, your top three competitors. So, you know, there's always, you know, out of a few hundred people, there's always some guy goes, nope, don't believe it. I'm from, you know, East Nosebleed, Idaho, right? <laughs> That's and, a shitty town, yeah. by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a West Nosebleed prefer- preference. But, <laughs> right, <yeah>. right. <laughs> but in any case, you know, he'd stand up, and I'd, I, you know, who are my three competitors? And i go, Sony, Canon, Nikon. Because they spent millions of dollars last year basically invalidating everything you do. Because have you ever seen a commercial for Canon, Sony, or Nikon where they go, we make photographers really talented? They don't. They say, our cameras are so easy, bozos can use them. (laughs) (laughs) And every commercial every year, it's more, our cameras are so easy, anybody can take a picture. Any bozo can use it. Any bozo can use it. Be for professional. Exactly. Yeah. And B is not for bulb. It's for bozo. It's for bulbous. <laughs> but the, but the real point is, can it be bulbous <laughs> on your camera? Yes. It's a yeah. little. But that's a little. I mean, if you stop and you think about it, it's a little like canvas. You know, for artists, makers going, our canvases are so easy that anybody could be Picasso. Yeah. That's ridiculous, and we don't accept it there. But in this industry, because this isn't really an art, this is an artisan industry. Right. I mean, art, photographers don't create anything they capture. Right. And with the exception of those who Photoshop and everything else. But art is is. Um, and here's the big difference. Artists create art for themselves, whether it sells or not, is become becomes secondary. Right. Photographers rarely spend time taking only pictures that they're going to see. They are right. artisans. They take stuff to be consumed. Van Gogh never sold a painting in his entire life, right? right. But he kept painting because <laughs> he wasn't doing it for us. He was doing it for him. But photographers are artisans. They're just like bowl makers or, 
you know. Um, God damn it, we're just bull makers. Yeah. No, you're better. I'm just a bull maker. But the reality, though, <laughs> but the reality is I have lots of artists who are artisans in my family. And there is a difference between somebody who weaves this and it looks like crap and somebody who weaves something incredible. Somebody who takes pictures and they're okay and somebody takes pictures that are emotionally evocative, right? But it's still not art. You're not creating something from the ground up. You're not creating something on a blank palette. And that makes it harder, in my opinion, right? Because you are creating something that reflects who you are, that reflects the moment, that reflects the emotion, and you still want to be consumed. And so that's, um, that's a tough trigger, you know, where, as I said, artists have the upside. They're artists, so they don't ever have to sell anything, and they're still artists. But I've never met an artisan who didn't sell anything who still considered themselves it's to be a successful. I've never thought of myself as an artisan. I've always thought of myself as an artist. And I've been making, and I don't say take, I've been making pictures for basically 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but everything I do is for consumption. Right. I am a food and booze photographer. I make people thirsty and hungry, and that's my directive. And, and that is the perfect example of what a great artisan does. They create something of a, with an artistic flair, with a personality, with a purpose that has an intended result. So is that a demotion from an artist to an artisan, or is it, is it okay? Am I okay? I don't know. I, I'm not, I, haven't, I haven't seen the, the you know, <laughs> Damn it, Jeff, Maslow's please, pure of artistry. What I can tell you is it's easier to be an artist than it is to be a successful well, shit, artisan. Promotion. Right? You just got promoted. Yeah. Look I'm back that. and forth. I'm you're, you're head of HR and <laughs> promoted. There you go. Wow. Congratulations cool. you. on your new position. Damn yeah. it, Jeff. I appreciate but it. <laughs> it actually pays less. Damn it. Yeah. Jeff. Damn it, Jeff. Damn it, Jeff. Damn it, Jeff. <laughs> God, I, first time I've heard that today. So what's next for you? What are you struggling on? What are you working you know, on? I, you know, uh, I've got a couple of books coming out. Um, uh, one that's out there now, uh, which is, I guess, this is where we'll do the plug. It's uh, Uniquing Your Brand, which reflects a lot of what we've been talking about. You can get it on Amazon. And, yeah. Um, and it's, um, it's, it's kind of a primer for all of this concept of specialism, three words, defining yourself, creating purpose, and everything. And it gives you kind of a blueprint for doing that. And, uh, and then I've got two more coming out I'm trying to finish. One is for the business sector called Bought. Uh, one of the things that I learned to do years ago is the concept of Socratic selling. I hate selling. I don't, don't know about anybody else, but I really get kind of queasy at the concept of convincing somebody to buy to my buy. stuff. What I really want them to do is to want to buy my stuff. Yeah, and so great I, desire. So I, I, I wrote – uh, the book is called Bought, and it's, it's um, how the art of selling is dead and the art of getting bought. Has been re- has replaced it, and so that'll be out probably near the end of the year. And then I've got another book that doesn't if doesn't fit into the, the business sector, but it does fit into the artist or creative uh, sector. It's called Unjudgeable, uh, and it is about being able to figure out how to uh, how to reach kind of a Zen state, even with yourself, to where uh, the negatives and the positives don't change who you are. It's a pretty good time. Right. So when someone says to me, hey, Jeff, I love that you're confrontational, or Jeff, I hate that you're confrontational, all of those things are important to hear, but they don't change me. Mm. You know, and there's a lot of people who are artists and artisans and creatives who struggle with self-image. And that's over the years I've kind of realized that that's because they're more interested in getting approval 
than they are in defining who they are. You know, and everybody I've worked with who goes through this process and defines who they are, they reach a certain level of unjudgeability pretty quickly. Mm. So I'm going to try and capture So that all comes that. out this year? That'll be out at the beginning of next year. Next year. So. What would your three words be? Hung way <laughs> over. <laughs> Don't look here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's hard, uh, you know. Yeah. Isn't it amazing though? It's something you think is so simple, as you say. Yeah. You know, no, what are what are the three hard. words that define you? Um, and I notice you've got tats, you've got ink, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to guess that those weren't last minute decisions as to what goes on there. That you thought that stuff through because it's permanent. So I want you to follow that same logic and think. Okay, so here's what happens when you're 20, 21, 22. You're going to get three words tattooed on your forehead. These are the three words that will define you the rest of your life. And everybody who meets you will see, and think of mine, will see romantic, which was really mm-hmm. my original word, confrontational, paternal. They'll know exactly what your brand expectation is, right. what your brand value is. But I guarantee you, you will give that a lot more thought than if I said, you've got 100 words to tell me about who you are. Because at that point, you're just going to circle. It's like the toilet. Right, a drain. You're just going to circle right, who you're really every adjective, are, I, I right? Think, yeah, and you're because you're kind of waiting to see which one is you know affects them. Instead, think of your words as the same as tattoos. You'd be surprised. Uh, some of those tattoos, are thought. Some, some of, my arms are thought out, but I have very large tattoos that I actually forgot that I had a tattoo appointment. <laughs> and on on the way there, after he texts me, he's like, "Hey, you on your way?" And it's someone I trust very much and is an artist that I really respect. He's like, what are you getting today? And I'm like, I have no idea. You got anything? You, you got anything? And I got there and figured it out. And well, he, see, he, in those cases, you're there for the pain. You know, yeah. The ink is just a result. Yeah. <laughs> there for the whiskey. Please get a bulbous falcon chicken tattoo. Yeah. I would, if you draw me up a bulbous falcon chicken. I, I will. will. I don't know if I'll draw it, but I will commission it to be drawn. Rob and I once I... saw a falcon chicken. <laughs> Falcon on the chicken. way on Highway 55 going up to Chicago, there was a falcon chicken. I saw it clear as day. It was bulbous. Wait, it was I bulbous. just need to be clear. You're saying falcon. Yes. Chicken. Not, yeah, okay. I, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yes. F-A-L-C-O-N. Falcon. Okay, got it. Sure, yeah. sure. Just yeah. trying to be Super clear here. Super bulbous, dive bomber extraordinaire. Falcon Just chicken. like real awkward and like bubbly looking, you know. Gracious, but not gracious. I can, I thought that's scary. I was just going to say, and yeah. I can see I can see why you're so attracted to that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> what a great definition. Yeah. Certainly that would elevate my desire. He's got <laughs> wings, but sometimes they don't work. You know, yeah. He's always hungry. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got to realize, though, at move. the end of the day, that's not a good sign. I mean, yeah. the reason we ate chicken is because they can't fly away. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> this one could. Right. Thank, and I, uh, thankfully, I don't know that I'd enjoy pigeon. Thank God they can fly away. Right. Yeah. The last thing in the world I'd want is a diet. Shake Shack pigeon burgers. Yeah. Do you remember WKRP in Cincinnati? Of course. Do you remember the old, as God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly yes. on the uh, Thanksgiving promotion? That's right. No. What, what it's they the all greatest, drowned. It's the greatest <laughs> five minutes on television like ever. It really was it's, funny. Yeah. You have to look it up. If you don't know, look up turkey Thanksgiving Day promotion in WKRP in Cincinnati. That was pretty funny. On YouTube. What were you doing in Cincinnati? WKRP in Cincinnati. It's a TV show. WKRP. It was a TV show. Oh. In the 70s. Gotcha. In it was 70s. phenomenal. Yeah, this was before the internet. We had to use TV. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Right. Right. What was that like? 
Tell it was no that. porn. Yeah. It was great, though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? <laughs> Wasn't that weird? <laughs> we had Lonnie Anderson. Nope. nope. That was as close as you got. Yeah. Yeah. How yeah, weird is good. it that there was no instant porn always in your pocket? Isn't that weird? Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely... Was, I don't... I can't respond to that. Yeah. I can't think of, I can't think yeah. of anything. To say. Yeah. Going back to turkeys, though, did you know that they're so stupid that when the rain hits them on the head, yes, they look up. And they can drown. And their mouth opens when they look up, and they will drown. Yeah. I know. I love that. That's amazing. I love that. I've, I've heard, actually I've been that. in corporate environments where I realize, oh, my God, I'm surrounded by guys who like, <laughs> like this. <laughs> you turkeys. Holy crap. You're wearing a suit, but I know that if you're caught in the rain, you're dead meat. You know? <laughs> Don't be dumb like a turkey. Yeah. That's the motto of this one. Yeah. Don't be dumb like a turkey. <laughs> Great. By Jeff Yoakum. My new book. Yeah. Here you go. <laughs> hey, you got another yeah. title. Uh, yeah. Here you go. Well, damn it, Jeff. This has been a great conversation. It I've enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. Do you have any lasting words of wisdom for the young budding working photographers out there? Choose your three words. Choose and, your three words. And, uh, don't and, look and, up in the rain. Don't look up in the Duh. rain. Right. Don't look up... Yeah. yeah, choose specialism, you know, and um, and then you don't have to worry about being misunderstood. Yeah, this is a good conversation. I appreciate your time. My pleasure. Yeah, we could talk. It's good. More. Maybe. Yeah, I'm I'm semi-retired, so I got plenty of time. Give me a call. All right. <laughs> to download this episode and all of season six here at WPPI, go to rggedupodcast.com. dot com, and also check out Jeff's website. That's J E F F. Soft J O C H U M dot com. You can also go to uniquebranduniversity.com, which is where I've actually just released my entire video course for free. Oh, wow. Wow. That's great. I guess I should have mentioned that earlier, but yeah, yeah, you should have. Yeah, it's it's the same course I've been teaching for the last four or five years. I use it as uh, my foundation for for my one to one coaching, but I finally just uh, cut it loose. And uh, so it's now free for anybody. You go to uniquebranduniversity.com. And you can uh, download the course for free. Hell yeah. Good, good job on that. Lessons. Yeah. Awesome. All right. That's, That's it. it. That's <laughs> what it. are we going to do now, Rob? This was our last podcast. I know. Well, Should we throw a party? Let's throw a party let's, tonight. Let's throw a party tonight. Right here what do you think? Week. 8 p.m.? 8 o'clock is perfect. All right. The bathtub. Jeff, you want to come? Sure. The bathtub is full of high life. Champagne. The champagne. Champagne of, of bottled yeah. beer. Yeah. And we got PBR. We go, we go real classy on the beer. PBR. We actually do have champagne in there, though, too. Yeah. Um, yeah which, we'll which of course, is the beer of bottled champagne. Yeah. <laughs> There's a trend. <laughs> I get, see how you did yeah. that. Yeah. You get me. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. Well, that's a little screw for this one. See you next time. In the meantime, check out rggedu.com for the best in photography education. Thanks for listening. Now get out of here and start shooting. For those of you who might not know what we're doing on Black Friday, should we tell them? No. Let's tease them. Let's give them a little idea. Let's give them a a glimmer of hope. Okay, so at RGGEDU, we focus on revealing the secrets from working pro photographers and retouching in the industry to give you a leg up on the competition. And why is that? Is it because we believe that the best education comes from those who are working pros? Absolutely, Rob. And we believe that you shouldn't have to go to two to four year school to learn this education. No, because that's crazy expensive. It's fun, but it's crazy expensive. So we're making photography education accessible to the entire world at RGGEDU.com and this Black Friday, we're doing something. We're making an offer so great that we can't even mention it. No, we can't. This microphone, blow your mind. Would, this microphone would explode if I even thought about it. 
that's heavy. Go to rggedu.com right now and you can sign up anywhere and we will alert you about the Black Friday deals this November 23rd, 2018. Should we sing our jingle? Yeah. Do you finally have a jingle? rggedu.com.